John chapter 15. Let's begin reading with verse number 1. John chapter 15, verse number 1. Jesus is talking here. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I don't like that verse. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Uh, Then he says, verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Can you believe in two weeks, in just two weeks, we will begin the final quarter of 2018? Can you believe that 2018, the end of 2018, is in sight? It seems like it was just yesterday that we were rolling over the calendar from 2017 to 2018, and now in two weeks, we're going to be launching into the final quarter of this year, and 2019 will be here in three months. Did you know I counted it? In fact, Christmas is just 98 days away from today. Ho, ho, ho. 98 days away from today is Christmas. Now, as we approach the final quarter of this year, let's ask each one of us, ask this question. Where are we in our relationship with Jesus? Let's make it personal. Where am I in my relationship with Christ? Is your relationship with Christ more vibrant, the same, or is it less intimate than it was in January of this year? Can you look back over the last nine months and see change in your life or in your relationships for the better? Can you pinpoint some habits, attitudes, or actions that are not Christ-like which you have been able to eliminate this year in these nine months? Are you able to look back over the last nine months and point out some fruit that is the result of your relationship with Christ? Can you spot some fruit in your life that's, that's all of a sudden been exposed in the last nine months? Let's get real personal. Have you led anyone to Christ over the last nine months? You know, we are called to be witnesses. Have you led anyone to Christ over the last nine months? Or have you at least made an intentional effort to witness to a co-worker or to a friend? Just made an effort, an intentional effort. Have you become involved and given some time in ministry 
that is making an impact in your church and community? Have you become involved? Are you doing something in ministry in your church or in your community? Or have you ceased or pulled back doing the Lord's work because you've gotten busy with other things? That happens a lot. Christians get busy. They just keep adding little by little onto their agenda. And the first thing that drops off is usually the Lord's work. Be honest. Over the last nine months, have you stretched your faith and stepped out of your comfort zone for Christ? Or do you continue to convince yourself that you will engage in what has been stirring in you, just not today, you're going to do it soon? Here's a good question. Those who know you best and watch you continually, can they see more of Christ in you in September than they saw in you in January? Does your life show evidence of spiritual growth, spiritual stagnation, or spiritual decline over the last nine months? Nobody can answer these questions but ourselves. Does your life show Evidence of spiritual growth, spiritual stagnation, or spiritual decline over the last nine months. Are you stuck? Do you find yourself this morning restless, unfulfilled, seem to just be spinning your wheels and not making any progress? Well, if that's you, I want you to know that's not God's way that He wants you to live. He wants you to be fruitful and fulfilled. If you're just spinning your wheels, if you've come to a place in life where nothing's happening, you find yourself discontent where you are, you don't see any fruit evident, your passion for Christ seems to have dwindled, you find more fault than you find positive, you're more critical than you are encouraging, if you've gotten to that point in your life, that's not where God wants you to be. He wants you to be fulfilled, and He wants you to be fruitful. In fact, he's, He kind of lays it out pretty clear, clearly for us in John chapter 10. Turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse number 10. You know this verse of Scripture. If you've been around church very much at all, you've heard this verse time and time again. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he come to give us life and life more abundantly. How many have heard this verse before? All right. Now, I want to I take a few moments. I'm not going to take as much time as Christopher Alam did last week, I promise you. But I want to take a few moments to, to break down these words for you and it'll give you maybe a picture of this verse that you've never seen before. Jesus is the one who's quoting this. He's the one who said this. And this is what he says. He says, the thief. It's amazing that Jesus used the term for Satan, a thief. Jesus calls the devil a thief. The word thief in the Greek comes from the word to steal. It comes from the word to steal. 
It gives the picture of a bandit, a pickpocket, a thief who is so artful in the way that he goes about stealing that he does it and you can't even detect the way he does it. Jesus paints the devil this way because Satan comes in and he robs us of joy, peace, our children, our finances, our health, and we don't even realize he's doing it until after he's done it. He's a pickpocket. He's a cunning thief. Jesus says the thief, the pickpocket, he comes to steal, and then he says something very unique here. He says the thief comes to kill. Now, for years, I'll just be honest with you, for years, I never looked up that word kill. Because I knew that mean to kill somebody. Satan just wanting to kill you. He wanting to kill your kids. He's wanting to kill your husband. He's wanting to kill your wife. He's wanting to kill your friends. Satan just wants to kill. And to be honest with you, I preached it that way for years. And then I started studying this word to kill. And it's not the word, the same Greek word, which means to go kill somebody. This word, to kill, means to sacrifice. It means to... Surrender. It literally means to give up something that is dear. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever become so frustrated with someone, something, some situation that you just threw up your hands and quit? You just threw up your hands and give up? You say, I don't want to mess with this no more. I ain't messing with them no more. I'm not messing with this situation. Just forget it. Forget it. That's exactly what this word is talking about. Notice it didn't say Satan didn't come in and kill you. He didn't come in and kill your children because you think about it. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He doesn't have the power to come in arbitrarily and just kill you. He can't do that. He doesn't have the, that power over your family as a believer. He doesn't have that power over your life as a believer. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper, the Bible says. Now, if I open the door for him, he'll come right in. But he doesn't have the power to kill us. But he does have the power to put the pressure on us. And to bring stressful situations in difficult circumstances that we get so worked up, burnt out, tore up, stressed out, that we just throw up our hands and quit and surrender to Him. Jesus says the thief comes in like a pickpocket and he'll steal everything God's given you if you allow him to and you won't even know it because we're not paying attention. He says the thief will put pressure on us to the point that we'll surrender, we'll give up, we'll sacrifice the good things because we're tired of the stress. And then he also says, the thief comes to destroy. Now the word destroy carries the idea of ruining, wasting, trashing, devastating, and destroying. Literally, he's saying this, when what Satan cannot steal from us or make us surrender over to Him with our frustrations, He will try to ruin it so we won't enjoy it. I, 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 let, me, let me tell you how this plays out. 
Have you ever had a special day planned or something you were looking forward to? And it just so happens on that day, something breaks loose to ruin it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Something breaks loose to ruin it. Something happens and it's just like you've been looking forward to this, you've been planning this, and then something. That's what Satan comes to do. If he can't steal it from you, if he can't get you to give up on it, he will try to keep you from enjoying it. Jesus says that's what he'll do. On the other hand, Jesus says this, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now that word, that they may have, that word, that they may have, means to have and to continually possess. It doesn't mean just to get pumped up because you heard something good and then you go back two or three days later and you're back in the doldrums again. The Bible says Jesus come to give us life to continually to possess and to have what? Life. That word life comes from the word zoe, life as God has it. It literally means a life of vitality. Jesus says, I've come to give you a life of vitality and you have it every single day of your life. It doesn't mean you won't have problems. It doesn't mean you won't have difficulties. It doesn't mean you won't have bad circumstances. But you've got something better on the inside of you that if you'll look to that, it will cause you to have vitality every day of your life. We're living in the last days. Listen to me now. We're living in the last days. And I see it happening every week. This is my work. This is what I do. I see good Christian people being caught up in the things of this world. The discouragement of this world. The troubles of this world. The trials of this world. The busyness of this world. The carnality of this world. The sin of this world. They're getting caught up in it. And here we are in the last days and are getting caught up in this stuff. And literally Satan is stealing the life of God out of us. And that's not God's plan. We ought to be as more, by, more gusto in our life, more vitality in our life, more witnesses of Christ now than ever before. And that's what He's called us to do. That's what He's called us to do. And then He says, I've come that you might have life and that you'll have it abundantly. The word abundant is from the Greek word which means to be above means to be above, beyond what is regular, extraordinary, or even exceeding. This is not just abundance. This is really superabundance. So listen to John chapter 10, verse 10, written the way the, word, the words actually mean it. Listen to what it says. The thief wants to get his hands into every good thing in your life. In fact, this pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. He'll create conditions and situations so horrible that you'll see no way to solve your problem except to sacrifice, surrender, and give up. His goal is to totally waste and devastate your life. If you don't stop him, he'll leave you insolvent, flat broke, and cleaned out in every area of your life. Make no mistake, your enemy's aim is to obliterate you. But I came that you might have life. 
keep and constantly retain a vitality, a gusto, a vigor, a zest for living that springs up from deep down inside. I came that you might embrace this unrivaled, unequaled, matchless, incomparable, richly loaded, and overflowing life to the ultimate maximum. Now that's what it literally means. That's what it literally means. So the battle lines have been drawn. Now, do you see yourself living like that last paragraph? In September of 2018, do you see yourself constantly retaining a life of vitality, gusto, vigor, and a zest for living? Are you enjoying an unrivaled, unequaled, matchless, incomparable, richly loaded, and everything ultimate life? In Christ, let's get it down here where we live. Are you happy? Are you living with the joy of the Lord? Does peace rule your mind and your heart? Are you satisfied? Are you content? Are you just spinning your wheels? Are you just frustrated and tired? That's not why God wants you. He wants you fruitful and fulfilled. He wants you fruitful and fulfilled. And He's made a way for us to be that way. You say, well, Pastor, I, I look back, I'm going to be honest, I look back over my life and I don't see some fruit. Years ago I saw fruit, but I don't see fruit now. It's not as abundant as it used to be. I'm not as passionate about the Lord. I, I'll just be honest, Pastor, I'm not as passionate about the Lord. I don't think about Him a whole lot. I know on Sunday I'm supposed to go to church, but it's not something that's on my mind during the week. I'm just trying to get by and surviving. I'm not passionate. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not producing fruit. I'm not. And if you're not, let me tell you, you're living below what God's called you to live. And it's not hard. It's not hard to produce fruit. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to go sign up for anything this morning. I'm not trying to get you to go sign up. We're not having a sign up here. We need you to do that. We're not doing that. I'm just talking about the fruitfulness of Christ that comes automatically from just being in Christ. Having an intimate, personal, satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me prove it to you. Turn with me real quickly to John 15, 8. Notice what John 15, 8. It says, Jesus said this. He says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Notice an automatic, an automatic result of being a disciple is you ought to be fruitful. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. If I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and in intimate relationship with Him, my life ought to produce some fruit. Just should do it. It's not something I have to work at. It's not something I have to spend overtime doing. It's just a part of my life. He's the vine. I'm the branches. And if I'm connected to the vine, my branch ought to produce fruit. 
Let me give you another one. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Jesus didn't say it. Paul prayed that the people would produce fruit. Notice what he says to the church at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. The apostle Paul's praying for them. He says, so we have not stopped praying. Notice he's praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord in your lives. Your lives will produce every good kind of fruit. See, when you're in relationship with Christ, when you're intimate with Him, when, when, when you're passionate about Him and have an ongoing, vibrant relationship with Christ, your life will just automatically, you don't have to work at it, you don't have to sign a list, you don't have to check off you to do things, it just automatically comes out of you. Just automatically comes out of you. Here's another one. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said it this way. Very unusual way he said it. He said, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their what? Fruit. That is, what do you mean their fruit? The way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Voila! That's revelation right there. A good tree produces good fruit. Notice he says a good tree just automatically produces good fruit. He says a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Listen, being fulfilled, having a destiny and moving toward it, being passionate about Christ, having an intimate relationship with Christ, if you are there, your life will automatically produce good fruit. The key is not going and getting involved in something. The key is to get intimate with Christ, and then it automatically happened. You see? Are you able to look back over the last nine months and point out some fruit that is a result of your relationship with Christ? Can you look back over since January and say, you know, I see where I'm growing in this area. I see where this used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. I, I now have the peace of God in that area. I see where I used to be critical, but now I don't. I'm not. I'm, or I see where I used, my words used to be fearful, and now they're full of faith. Or Can you look over the last nine months and see some areas where fruit is starting to manifest in your life? Or are you stuck? Spinning your wheels. Life without purpose. Still battling the same habit. Can't get over it. Still bound. Not fulfilling your destiny. Not progressing in God or for God. And can't point to anything in your life. That over the last nine months you've improved in or... Manifested any fruit. 
If that's you, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not fussing at you. I've been there. I'm just telling you, that's not the way God wants you to live. And it's not hard to produce fruit. You say, well, it seems hard to me, Pastor. Well, let me give you two simple ways to produce fruit in your life. I mean, it's as simple. When you hear this, you're going to say, dang, should have had a V8. Number one, fruit is never produced unless seed is planted. I hear this all the time. I just don't have no friends. Fruit is never produced unless seed is planted. The Bible says, if you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. I don't have any peace. The Bible says, peace is is reaped by those who sow peace. Seed, fruit is never produced unless seed is planted. Does everybody understand that? You can't plant watermelons and get turnips. A seed always produces after its own kind. Everybody with me? I'm not happy. Produce joy. Plant some joy seed in somebody else's life. The seed produces after its own kind. And no fruit ever comes forward unless somebody plants some seed. So if you're not seeing fruitfulness in your life, your first thing is not to blame others and not to accuse others which we often want to do, first thing to do is start planting some seed in that area of your life that you need some fruit in. Now, anytime in church you start talking about planting seed, people get crazy about this money thing because of all these TV preachers. And I know a lot of them. I know a lot of them. You have to understand, most of them don't have a church. So they got to get their money from TV people. So that's why they say some of the things they say. But we're not talking about money here this morning. We're talking about a seed far greater than a dollar bill. I'm talking about the seed of God's Word. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Notice what it says. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. If you go with us to Israel in November, you'll see exactly where this happened. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in forms of parables, such as this one. Verse 3, a farmer went out to plant some seed. Everybody say seed. Now notice verse 14, what the seed is. Look at verse 14. The farmer, the farmer plants seed by taking God's what? word to others. God's word is seed. God's word is seed. And it's amazing. It's amazing what this seed of God's word will do in your life. The Bible says when you plant God's word in your heart, it will produce the results of what you've planted. I like to say it this way. Find a Christian who is not fruit-bearing 
And I will show you a Christian who is not consistent in their Bible devotions. Find a Christian who is not fruit-bearing, and I'll show you a Christian who is not consistent in their Bible devotions. Listen, it is the simplest thing in the world. This is not hard. It's not signing up for to steal your time. I'm talking about taking a few moments every day to do Bible devotions and there's something about the Word of God that's a supernatural seed. When it gets in your heart, all of a sudden it will start springing forth fruit out of your life. You, you say, how's that work? I don't know. I don't know. In fact, Jesus said we wouldn't know how it worked. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 23. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 23. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding will be given. Verse 25, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Verse 26, Jesus also said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how it happens. I don't understand how it happens. I do not understand how it happens. I scratch my head literally sometimes trying to figure this thing out. But I know this. I was bound by lust. I couldn't get the spirit of lust off of me. I repented. I cried every single day of my life. I repented and cried. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong to have fantasies of of, of pornography in my mind. I knew it was wrong to think those things about women. I knew it was impure. I knew it was sinful. I knew I, I shouldn't do it. And I was a preacher doing it, and I wanted to get rid of it, but I, and I would promise I'm not going to think that tomorrow. I'm not going to think that tomorrow. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to rehearse that in my mind. I promise you, Lord, I'm not going to do it. Just forgive me, and I won't do it. And for years, I couldn't get over it. And well, every day, condemnation, every day, repentance, every day, condemnation, every day, repentance, every day, con- for years that went on. And finally, in desperation, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I cannot live. I don't want to live like this. The rest of my life. And that same day I prayed that. I was just. I'd opened my Bible just to do my morning devotion. And I came to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 31 through 33. And it just said this. Awake to righteousness. And sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I realize my problem, I don't have a sin problem. I have an identity problem in Christ. Once I realize who I am in Christ, I'll conquer sin very easily. He said to wake up to who you are in me. Wake up to your right standing. You're not an old sinner saved by grace trying to keep this lust off of you. You are the redeemed of the Lord. And you need to say so, you're the redeemed of the Lord. And that stuff is underneath your feet. And that one verse, awake to righteousness and sin not. That one verse, that one verse put me on a trail of getting free. Free. 
from that spirit that had held me in bondage since I was 12 years old. The seed of God's Word. God says my Word is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. You show me a non-fruit-bearing Christian and I'll show you someone who is not consistent with their daily devotions. Just get it in your heart. Every day, get it in your heart and it will automatically be bringing forth fruit. It's not hard. Not hard. So number one, no fruit is produced unless someone plants some seed. And the second thing is this. Fruit is never produced unless the branch is pruned. I hate that verse. Did I mention that earlier? John chapter 15. John chapter 15 verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus said. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Notice he didn't say all the lazy people, he prunes them. Now, he didn't say that. He didn't say all the people who are not doing what they're supposed to do, he prunes them. He says if you're bearing fruit, guess what? You get pruned. Why? So that you can bear more fruit. Pruning is the practice of removing diseased, non-productive or otherwise unwanted portions of the plant. The purpose of pruning is to shape or direct growth, maintain health, and increase the yield. Now, now go back to that John 15 verse 1 again. Let me show you something real interesting here. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now for years, you probably might have heard that verse says that if, if you're in Christ, he just throws you out. No, notice he says, if, if you don't bear fruit, he throws you out. Notice, every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away. He doesn't throw you out. If you're not bearing fruit, I say it this way. If you're intentionally living in sin, He removes the blessings and He disciplines you. But He don't throw you away. He doesn't throw you away. In fact, when I was studying along this, I studied the the I'm I'm not on I'm not into wine. I don't know anything about wine. It was a sin when I was in church. Seemed like it's not a sin anymore, but it was a sin when I was drinking wine it was a sin when I was in church. So I don't know anything about wine. I don't know anything about rose or I don't even know how to pronounce that. So anything I can't pronounce, I don't know anything about it. If it ain't peanut butter and cracker and a Dr. Pepper, I don't know anything about it. All right. But I, I was studying along this, and pruning, pruning is real big in vineyards. And they were talking about this. There are some vines that grow so low to the ground, 
they get dirty. And when it rains, they get muddy. And they produce no fruit. And the, the owner of the vineyard doesn't cut them off and throw them away. Listen to what he does. They have this apparatus that he lifts them up off the ground and cleans them off. So listen, if in your walk with the Lord something has jumped in there and you've gotten dirty with sin and and life has kind of beat you up and you're not living the way you need to live and sin has gotten in your life and some habits have taken control that are not Christ-like, He doesn't throw you away. The first thing He does is He's going to lift you up and get you off the ground. And he's going to clean you up. For some people, it might be jail time. For some people, it might be a loss of a job. For some people, it might be a loss of income. But I don't know what it might be, the discipline that comes. But he's going, it's, it's, it's only to get you where you need to be. Not to punish you. So for those who are in sin, He's just going to lift you up and the blessings might come off your life a little bit, but He hasn't thrown you away. But those who are bearing fruit, He's going to do some cutting. You know, pruning involves cutting and cutting hurts. It hurts. Pruning is when God asked you to let go of some things that keep you from His kingdom purposes and your ultimate good. He don't take them from you. I mean, you're doing good. Notice, those who bear fruit, you're doing good. You're bearing fruit. He's going to prune you. But notice, He doesn't take it from you. He asked you to let it go. Pruning is when God asked you to let go of things that keep you from His kingdom purposes and your ultimate good. I like to say it this way. Pruning is about rearranging our priorities. Letting go of the possessions we hold so dear. And surrendering our personal rights that, think, that we think give us our identity. Pruning. You say, well, what is the shears? What are the shears? If pruning involves cutting, something has to be used to cut. What's the seed? What did we say the seed was? The Word of God. What's the shears? The Word of God. Let me tell you something. Nobody in this church has been called of God to be the church pruner. Then no gift to this body. Well, I'm the church pruner. In other words, you point out everybody's faults. No, there's no such gift. No gift the church pruner where you're trying to get everybody straightened out. The pruner, the shears, is the Word of God. Look what he says in John chapter 15, verse 2 and 3. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the what? Have you ever read the Word of God or listened to the Word of God taught or listened to the Word of God sung or listened to the Word of God preached and nobody nobody said anything to you? You just listened to the Word and all of a sudden the Word spoken, the Word of God, a scripture you read, it revealed something in your life that you knew I don't need to have. I've been struggling with that. Nobody had to say anything to you. Nobody had to jump on you. Nobody had to tell you is wrong. The Word did it. The Word did it. That's the pruning. That's the pruning. Seed produces after its own kind. Put the Word in your heart. It'll start producing the fruit you need in your life. The Word of God is the pruning shears. Get into the Word of God. It will start revealing things about your life that you need to let go of or cut away so that you can be more fruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ. The key goes back to the Word. There's something remarkable about this book called the Bible. Absolutely remarkable about this thing. I... I can't explain it. I wish I could explain it. In the book of Exodus, the Bible talks about Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. And he'd gotten the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says when the people saw Moses, his face showed with brightness. You remember that story? Exodus chapter 24. It says his face was lit up. Because he'd been in the presence of the Lord and he'd received the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the Bible says, was so glorious that it caused his face to change its countenance. The people couldn't even look on him. His face was so bright. Read it next to chapter 24. His face was so bright they had to hide their face and put veils over their face because his face was so bright from receiving the Ten Commandments. And then you come over to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about that. And he said this, he said, now if Moses' face shone with brightness for receiving the Ten Commandments, and then he said this, he said the Ten Commandments was a ministration of death. He said the Old Testament is a ministration, a ministry of death. He said the New Testament's a ministry of spirit and life. He said, now if Moses received the ministry of death, the law, and his face showed up with brightness, how much more if we get into this book, our countenance will change when we get a hold of the ministry of life. In fact, he says it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says there's something so, there's some kind of supernatural quality about this book that when you look at it and stay in it, whatever it reveals will start reflecting on you and you'll become a reflection of this book. 
He says, it's, it's no wonder, he said, for the word of God's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. He says, he says, it's just a miracle. He says, you get in this and you start looking in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. 2 Corinthians 3, for he says, if you start looking at this book, it has such a reflected quality. It's like looking at a mirror, and what it you see will start reflecting, and you'll change into that reflection that you're looking at. People have been telling you you're no good. You look in this book, you're the redeemed of the Lord, and all of a sudden, you'll take on a totally different image of what people's told you all your life. You're no good. You'll start taking on the image that this book says you are. It's a supernatural book. It's a it's seed that produces abundant harvest. And it's a pruning shears that'll cut up the junk out of your life. If you want to live fruitful and fulfilled, it's not joining a civic club. That's wonderful. It's not signing up for nursery ministry, although we need you. The key to fruitfulness and fulfillment is just being consistent with your daily devotions in the Word of God. And that seed planted will start producing a harvest of fruitfulness in your life.